Let's go in our, in our Bibles. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at a part of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And um, how many of you watch The Chosen? Anybody watch? Y'all watch The Chosen, the, the TV series? One of, my, one of my favorite episodes so far was The Sermon on the Mount because it was just like, um, if you've seen the episode, I mean, it's just Jesus is dropping truth after truth after truth after truth. And you're just like, you know, it's like they can't even, in Matthew's over there, he's trying to keep up, you know, with, with everything that, that Jesus is saying as he's, as he's writing all this down. And uh, one of the, you know, we just so much truth here. And uh, tonight I really, I really want to talk about the heart of God. And uh, the heart of God and what our heart should be and what our heart shouldn't be. So let's go to the word. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It says this. Do not judge others. Somebody say, uh-oh. <laughs> He's going there. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. Later on in the year, we're going to do a, a series called Seeds. And when you look at verse 2, it's really a principle of sowing and reaping, right? It says you're going to be treated as you what? As you treat others. Whatever you sow, whatever you sow, you're going to reap, right? If you're sowing judgment, guess what you're going to reap? Judgment. For you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard, now watch this. He takes it even one further. Jesus says the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Anybody feeling convicted? Uh-oh. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? And how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the gift. We thank you for the giver. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your word. Be with us. Speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said amen. Amen. Uh, I did forget to mention this. Uh, next week for Mother's Day, we will be having uh, an evening service. And so our gift to all the mothers is you get to sleep in on Mother's Day, okay? In fact, husbands here, this is what I'm suggesting. You go buy uh, your wife a hotel room. And let her stay there by herself, okay? Husbands, you don't get to go, all right? This is not, this is not Father's Day, okay? This is Mother's Day. Uh, so go buy a hotel room. Give her a quiet hotel room all by herself, all to herself, and, and she'll say thank you. She'll love you for it. Let her sleep in. Let her order herself bed and breakfast or schedule herself a massage, and then you can pick her up at the hotel, and y'all can come right here to church, all right? And, uh, and that'll, be, that'll be a good day. And so Shannon's going to be speaking next week, and uh, so excited about that. I'm excited about the message that she's going to be preaching. I think she's going to be preaching on, uh, on Esther, just uh, a word that the Lord downloaded on her heart. Actually, a few weeks ago, she came in, in my office just in tears, and she was was all excited about it. And she was, then she was mad at me because I wasn't as excited about it. And she was like, I really think you should preach this. I'm like, you're really excited about it. You should preach this. And so uh, she's going to preach next week on, uh, on Mother's Day. And I'm excited about that. And then after Mother's Day, I'm kicking off a three-week series called The Blessing. How many of you want a blessing? I joked with uh, our men's small group on Thursday morning at 6 a.m. If, if, look, if you're really spiritual, you'll show up at our men's small group all right, at 6 a.m. We know you love God. Uh, but we, I joked around with them. I said, um, 
we just we kind of had a, a week of pressure. And if you missed last week's message, I preached on uh, being under pressure and withstanding the pressure and that there's purpose in the pressure. I said I had the most pressure packed week I think I've ever had in my entire life. And the week before I had preached on just hold on. And the week before I, I had a week where I felt like I just had to hold on. And so I said, you know what, I'm scheduling a sermon series on blessing because if I'm going to have to walk through the, se- the, the sermon that I'm preaching, I want the blessing. All right. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but Lord, if you want to. Um, so the blessing, I'm going to be starting that series in, in uh, three weeks. And it's on this. It's on faith, finances, and forgiveness. The blessing, faith, finances, and forgiveness. We all need forgiveness, right? Uh, we all need a greater level of faith. And I believe that the level of faith that God wants to bless you with, like I'm getting into the sermon series already, but the level of faith that God wants to bless you with is not just for you, but it's for your family. And then I believe that God wants to bless your finances. And so we're going to hit all three of those areas, faith, finances, forgiveness, the blessing three-week series. But today, loving over judging. Come on, somebody say loving over judging. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. And the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. These are, these are heavy words. These are heavy words from Jesus. And as you take a look at these, uh, it could even be scary as you, you know, if you're sitting back and you're like, man, I'm kind of a judgmental person. I really don't want to be judged. And then we don't need to be judgmental, right? So I would ask you this question. How many of you have ever felt judged before? Show of hands, anybody? Yeah, I mean, I I think we've all felt judged before. And it's not a good feeling, right? It's not a good feeling to be looked at and, you know, maybe judged on age, maybe be judged by gender, maybe be judged by what you wear or what you drive or the part of town that you live in, maybe be judged on a color of skin, It's never a good feeling to be judged. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have ever judged someone? Not a lot of hands going up on that one, right? We don't want to, it's not one that we want to volunteer for, but if we were honest, we would all lift our hands and we would say, yes, I've judged before. Yes, I've looked at someone and, and, and I've judged. I've, I've cast judgment before I, I got to know them. I've thought thoughts in my head about who they are or what they are or where they came from before I ever sat down with them and got to know them or know their story. And, and while we may not want to volunteer, the truth is that at some point we have, we've all done it. In fact, listen to this story from a pastor. It says a pastor was speaking at a camp in California. And a gentleman came to him and said, Pastor, I have waited for so long for this week, and I'm going to eat up everything that you have to say. I'm sure the pastor felt really good, and he was like, thank you. So Sunday night, the man was sitting on the front row, and the man started dozing. The pastor figured that he had had a long drive and was probably just tired. And that Tuesday night came, and the man started dozing off again. And Wednesday night, the man dozed again. The pastor was now getting a little upset. Here this man is, sat on the front row, sleeping away. As a preacher who had prepared for his ministry and put hours of study time in, didn't feel that it was good to see someone sleeping on the front row. He was getting frustrated with this guy. So Thursday night, the man nodded off and he slept again. 
On Friday morning, the lady who was sitting next to him came to the pastor and said, I want to thank you for your ministry this week. And oh, by the way, I'm sorry about my husband sleeping on you. He has two weeks to live. He has terminal cancers, and the doctors have just given him a couple of weeks to live. When he talked about what he wanted to do before he passed away, he said, I have to hear this pastor speak. The doctors gave him medicine to keep the pain away, but unfortunately, the medicine makes him sleep. I wanted to apologize to you that he has been sleeping, but I wanted to thank you that you have made one of his final weeks one of the best of his life. The pastor could not have crawled, the pastor could have crawled under a rock because he made a judgment without any investigation. You know, I don't think anybody is immune to judging. And here is a pastor who standing on the stage preaching the gospel. And what is he doing? He's, he's judging. And he's going, look at this guy. But we don't know the backstory. And one of the things that I love about my job is I get to sit with people across the table many times over coffee or a meal. And I get to hear people's stories. And so many times I will be surprised by the story that I hear. I'll be surprised because, you know, we all have past. We all have uh, things that we've been through. We've, we've walked through life. We've walked through ups. We've walked through downs. There's, there's things. And, and if you prejudge somebody, if you look at somebody and you judge them, you never get the opportunity to love them. Have you ever made a verdict on someone's eternal destination? Have you ever looked at someone and thought, oh, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. Come on, don't lie to me tonight. If we're comparing, maybe you thought to yourself, I have it more together than them. Most likely, these are statements that we've all thought to ourselves. Maybe you've even distanced yourself from someone around you because of differences or beliefs. Today, this is what I want us to do. I want us to reframe the way that we view our job as Christians. Can we do that? I want us to change our mindset on what our job is and what God's job is. Because I believe that too many times we get the roles reversed. We think it's our job to judge and it's God's job to love. I'll stand and tell the world what they're doing wrong. I'll stand the world and tell them that they're all going go to hell, go to hell. And by the way, God loves you and he died for you. Can I tell somebody tonight? It's our job to love, not to judge. It's our jo job to love, not to judge. Listen to what John 13 says. A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you watch, look at that word, what is it? So you must, so you ought to, so it's optional, so it's a good option. Is it a good, no, what did Jesus say? You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you judge everybody? If you condemn everybody? If you consider yourself better? Because I go to church on Sunday evening. I go to church at 5 p.m. I'm super spiritual. Even when the Cowboys game is on, I go to church. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you do what? If you love one another. If you love the people that are lovable or if you love everyone. 
If you love the people that look and act and talk like you, or if you love everyone, if you love the people that don't exactly think like you or act like you, or maybe have it all together, love everyone. The Bible says we must, come on, somebody said we must love one another. Jesus didn't say that they will know you by the way you judge. There's plenty of that in the world already. He said they will know you by the way you love. What would happen if we pursued loving over judging? Because watch this. I want you to see this definition. A judge is defined as this. A person who is qualified to give an opinion. A judge is this, a person who is qualified to give an opinion. So I would ask the question, what qualifies me to hold anyone's sin against them? What would qualify you to hold anyone's sin against him? What qualifies me to stand in judgment on anyone? Nothing. Why? Because Isaiah 64, 6 says, we all, come on, say all, we all are infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Even in our righteousness, guess what? It's filthy rags. So Jesus says, where do we get off judging others or being a judge, offering an opinion on someone else when we all are infected and impure with sin? Romans 3.23 says it this way, for all, come on, say all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. So what gives me any right to stand in opinion of someone else? All means all. No one is immune to mistakes. No one is immune to sin. No one is immune to failure. So how can we stand in judgment? The only thing, and hear me, the only thing that makes us righteous is Jesus. The only thing that makes us righteous is what we celebrated tonight is his body that was broken, is his blood that was spilled on our behalf so we could have forgiveness of sins. And that doesn't give us a right to stand in judgment over somebody. All that does is give us a reason to do what we did tonight and just stand in gratitude and say, thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. Thank you, God, for healing me. It's only by your blood. It's only because of your righteousness that I am made righteous. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Because the power of the cross is inclusive, not exclusive. God didn't die to include you in some little cool exclusive club, but he came to include you in the work that he's doing. And the job looks like loving others, not judging others. It's loving over judging. Because you'll never judge anyone into heaven but you can love them there. Can I say that again? You'll never judge anyone into heaven, but you can love them there. If I stand in judgment over somebody and try to get them in heaven, you think they're really going to respond to that? <laughs> you think they're really going to be like, oh, yeah, thanks for, yeah, thanks for that condemnation. That feels great. Um, where do I sign up for your church? That's awesome. Oh, yeah, no, that's great. Oh, sun, Sunday's at 5 p.m. I won't be there. Um, I mean, it's not going to work. We'll never judge anyone into eternity, but I can promise you this. We can love them there. I mean, if they've got mistakes and flaws and failures, don't look like you, don't act like you, don't talk like you, love them anyway. 
Love them right into the kingdom of heaven. Love them right into the doors of the church. Because there's been too many churches that have stood in judgment over people and condemned people. Look, we're not going to be a church that condemns. If we want people to really get restoration, how does it happen? It starts with loving them. Loving them right in the doors of the church. Loving them if they don't look like you, act like you, talk like you, vote like you. Love them into the doors of the church because we've got a Savior that loved them so much. And if he loved them, come on, church, we should love them too. Because you got to remember that you were them at one time. Can I say that again? You were them at one time. And God saw you just the way you were. And Romans 5, 8 says that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. He didn't judge me. He loved me. While I was a sinner, he looked at me and he saw my brokenness and he saw what I could be. And he went to a cross for me. Why? Because he loved me. Jesus did that for me. Don't you know he did that for my neighbor? Don't you know that he did that for you? For God so loved the world, not for God so loved the select. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. If we say we're his disciples or we're his followers, we've got to do the same. If we don't love, then we don't represent the heart of God. If we don't represent the heart of God, we'll never reach the city of Frisco. Jesus's earthly assignment was not to judge. Listen to me. His earthly assignment was not to judge. I know because of his interactions with the woman caught in adultery. Go with me for a moment. The woman caught in adultery was drug out into the streets by a religious crowd. She was taken and she was thrown before Jesus. And all of her accusations and sins were laid out before the town and they were laid out before the city. And they stood over her in judgment. They stood over her with their fingers pointed in condemnation with accusations. Jesus, the law says that she should be stoned. And here they stand, Jesus here, they've thrown her before Jesus. Jesus, what would you say? She's a sinner. And what does Jesus do? Jesus simply comes over and he kneels down in the woman. Notice Jesus' posture. Is he standing over her? Is he pointing a finger? Is he standing behind her, holding her past, holding her sins, holding mistakes against her? Does he have a stone in his hand? Simply kneels down in the sand. Kneels down in the dirt. And he ignores the accuser. Can I tell you that Jesus ignores the accuser? Because he doesn't care about the past. He doesn't care about the mistake, about the sin, because what he does is he stands before you and he sees your future. He stands before you and he sees the hope that he has prepared for you, but it's all rooted in love. He didn't stand in judgment, but he kneeled down and he got on her level and he got in the dirt and he got in the middle of the situation. He ignored them. And, and and what I have to believe, and I've heard this preached a lot of different ways, but what I have to believe is that the Bible says that he began to just kind of doodle or write in the sand. And I have to believe that he began to write statements of love to her. You're loved, forgiven, healed. And as the accusers stood behind with these stones, they have no leg to stand on. They're like, Jesus, aren't you going to condemn her? And he's like, no, I'm going to love her. Jesus, aren't we going to stone her? It's what the law says. He said, I've come to fulfill the law, and the law is love. 
And so in this moment, they want to stone her, but Jesus gets on her level. I'm telling you, if we want to really, really love people, we've got to get in the dirt. Restoration Church, we called this Restoration Church because we knew that there were going to be people that were down, that were out, that were hurting, that were broken, that we would have to get down in the dirt and go, hey, it's going to be all right. Jesus loves you. Hey, we realize that you've been through some stuff. We realize that you walked in here hurting and broken. But guess what? We have a God that loves you. We have a God that is a healer. We have a God that is a redeemer. We have a God that can give you joy. We have a God that can give you peace. And we've got to be willing to get in the dirt and not stand over in judgment and condemnation. Come on. We've got to choose loving over judging. Jesus said this in John 8, 7. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. The Bible says one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they drop their stones and they walk off. Every time you judge or condemn someone, play Jesus's words in your head. He who is without sin cast the first stone. Listen to, listen to what Billy Graham said. He said this. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. And it's my job to love. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. And it's my job to love. Because watch this. Judging is actually rooted in hate. Listen to what 1 John 4.20 says. It says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. And don't you love how the Bible just calls you out sometimes? But I mean, it... I love this book because it'll just it just lays it out. It just it just tells you. It just tells you straight up. I love God, but hates a fellow believer. That person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love a God whom we cannot see? Judging others keeps us from fulfilling the Great Commission, from filling the mission of Restoration Church. We can't make disciples while judging others. Because too many people have been disenchanted with the church because they have felt judged by the church rather than loved by the church. For far too long, Christians have stood on street corners with signs that say God hates this person or God hates that person. Has a sign ever changed someone? Do they walk by and go, oh, okay, yeah, I think, I, yeah, I'm going to get saved right now. What if our signs look more like this? God loves you no matter what. What if we took to the streets with this message? What if we marched on Washington, D.C. with this message that God loves you no matter what? Because it's a message of hope. It's a message of grace. That's the message of the cross. That is the good news. Mother Teresa said it this way. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. Do you know the things that Mother Teresa did in this world? Do you know the millions of people that are still being fed around the world because of homes and, and foundations and ministries that she started literally all over the world and she left her home with a nickel in her pocket and she is still reaching people today even though she's not still here. Why? Because she chose to love people right where they're at. And I'm telling you, if we'll love people right where they're at, we're going to love them through the pain. We're going to love them through the addiction. We're going to love them through the stronghold. We're going to love them through the fight. We're going to love them through the hard times. And if we will just love people, we're going to see lives changed. Because we have allowed the way others, listen to me, because I believe that this is where it all starts. This is where 
judging starts. This is where prejudice starts. We've allowed the way that others, one person, has treated us to form opinions about groups of people. Can I say that again? We've allowed the way that others have treated us to form opinions about groups of people. We were mistreated by a pastor, so now all pastors are bad. A person that had tattoos had harsh comments to say to you, and so now all people with tattoos are evil. We have allowed our past experiences and hurts to form our judgments about who people are and who they aren't. And because one person did something to us, now we want to classify all people as that. Because a prejudice simply means this. We prejudge. We don't even give that person the opportunity in our life. If we have a prejudice towards them, we have prejudged them based on either a past experience or something that was hand down or something that was taught to us. Because what I've learned is that if, if it wasn't because of an experience, it was probably because it was taught. And prejudices are taught. Take kids, any, any background, and you put them together in a room, and it doesn't matter the skin color, the education status, how much money they have, uh, the job that their mom or dad has. They, they don't do that. They get in a room, and they just play. Why? Because there's none of that. But as you get older and you have experiences and things are taught to you, what do you do? You form these prejudices towards other people. There are some things in our life that need to be unlearned. Can I say it again? There are some things in our life that need to be unlearned. Some things that we need to wrestle with God on until we get the truth. Look, look, there's some things that you need to take to God and go, God, I don't know why I feel this way or think this way. And you need to go, God, show me the truth. And I'm not going to let go until you show me the truth. If your feelings aren't rooted in the love of God, they are wrong. We have to lay down our old way of thinking. Ephesians says it this way. Now I say this and testify in the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. We got to change the way that we walk. We got to change our old way of thinking. We have to begin to walk in love. Dude, in the, the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from God, from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Verse 22 goes on to say, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed. Come on, somebody say renewed. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. We need to wrestle with God. We've got to put off the old and we've got to take on the new. I want the band to come back. And as they do, I want to say this. Starts when we identify these things in our hearts and in our life and we take them to God and we deal with them. So that when we walk out of our time with God, we look differently for the world to see. Man, if we show up at church every week and we walk out the same, why are we coming to church? If you wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and you spend time in your Bible and in prayer and you walk away from that Bible and prayer time the same way that you walked in, why are you waking up at 5 a.m.? If we're not allowing the Word to change us, if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to change us, if we walk around still pious and religious and judgmental, and then we need to go back to our prayer closet. 
great, you woke up at 5 a.m., that's, that's awesome. But did you walk out looking like Jesus? It's great, we showed up to church at 5 p.m. on a Sunday, but did we walk out looking like Jesus? Or did we walk out still with judgment in our hearts? Galatians 3.28 says this, there is no longer Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul was addressing three things when, when he wrote this. He said, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. He says this, Jew or Gentile is this, ethnicity. Because there was this rift between Jew and Gentile. The Jews that had given their life over to Jesus thought, oh, well, I'm still I'm better than anybody else that gets saved because I'm of Jewish background and heritage. And Paul comes back and he says this. He says, look, man, he says, just because your background is this doesn't mean anything. We're all one in Christ. And so he addresses ethnicity there. And then he comes back and he addresses social class, slave or free. He's like, it doesn't matter about your money status. It doesn't matter about what's in your bank account. We are all one in Christ. What's to understand is that we are all sinners in need of a savior. And then he addressed the gender because in this day and time, it was a big deal. The men walked around like they were all that. And they like, the women just don't add us up to us men. And so he even takes in this moment to address it. And he goes, look, hey, guys, you're sinners. Hey, female, you're sinners. You know who you need? His name is Jesus. There's not one better than the other. You both need Jesus. And without Jesus, we'll spend an eternity apart from him. And so before you start thinking it's based on your merit or on your works or anything that you did or because of time you spent in your prayer closet or because of days that you attended church or because of the trips that you made to the altar or because of how high you lifted your hands or because of how loud you sang the song, it doesn't matter. What matters is the cross. And if you've confessed him with your mouth, believed in your heart, because We're all sinners and we all need Jesus. So before we go judging, why don't we come back to the cross and realize who we really are without him? There's no divisional lines when it comes to the family of God. Listen to me. So if there's no divisional lines, why do we keep creating the divide? There's no divisional lines when it comes to the family of God So if there's no divisional lines, why do we keep creating the divide? I'll tell you why. Because we look in the natural and not the supernatural. We see things with the human eye and not with God's eye. I want you to stand with me as as we close. There will be a day of judgment. Don't get me wrong. God is a God of love. And there's no doubt that he loves us and gave his life for us. But there will be a day of judgment. That's why God has commissioned us to take the task of loving others. Because one day we'll all stand before God and we'll all be judged based on if we believed in Jesus, that he was the son of God, that he died and rose again. The time's too short to be filled with hate and bitterness towards one another. Our job is to love people. 
Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. says this, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of you may receive the things done in body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore, watch this, Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Why do we persuade men? Because we all realize that one day we'll stand before him. And we're either going to stand before him covered by the sacrifice that he made on the cross or we'll stand before him and we'll be shaking in fear. Why? Because we didn't confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. So why do we Knowing, therefore, with the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's why we should love people, because we know there's a day of judgment coming. But it's not our place to judge. So let's get God be the judge and let us love. You want to know the ones that Jesus was the roughest with? You want to know the ones that Jesus spoke the harshest to? It was the religious leaders. It was the ones that were walking around judging everybody. It was the ones that were judging the crowd. How could you show up and listen to this Jesus God that they thought they were all that. Jesus on one occasion looked at the Pharisees and he said, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes, you, you, you religious crowd. I, I don't, that's not what I want Jesus saying to me, Craig, you're a brood of vipers. No, 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 no. I want Jesus to look at me and go, hey, you're a conduit that my love flows through. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I quote that scripture a lot, but if we're really going to understand God's grace and salvation and forgiveness, it starts with humility. Because he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. If we come to God in a place of pride and say, I can do this. Look at me. Look at who I am. Look at all I have. Look at what I've done. I'm righteousness. No, your righteousness is filthy rags. God's righteousness, however, what he wants to do is he wants to take all of your filth, all of your deeds, all of your trying to live up to a standard, and he wants to clothe you with your righteousness. Because this is what I love about Jesus. You never found him judging except for the religious leaders. But when he would see a Zacchaeus, a hated tax collector, he would say, hey, Zacchaeus, come down publicly in front of everybody. I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to hang out with you. And then what you would read in the next verse is that Zacchaeus would say something to Jesus like, I'm going to give all that I have and I'm going to repay all the bad things that I've done. Jesus, I'm giving my life to you because what happens is when you have an encounter with Jesus, you won't stay the same way that you are. And that's the whole point of loving somebody. It's loving them to change. When Jesus found the adulterous woman and they threw her before her, when she got up, her life was changed. He said, go and sin no more. It's not to leave a person where they're at. And if we encounter people in sin, the whole object of loving them is to love them into a relationship with Jesus. Because if you get in contact with Jesus, you're going to change. I'm not saying that we love them and we leave them the same and we leave them where they are. But as we love them, the goal is to love them through the sin, love them through the issue, love them through the challenge. Because when they come into a relationship with Jesus, they're not going to stay the same. The woman with the issue 
Or the woman at the well, he says, you've been with five men and the dude you're with now is not your husband. I mean, Jesus calls her out, but he's not judging her. He calls her out. What's the difference in condemnation and uh, what's the difference between condemnation and accountability or judging and accountability? It's love. Because I can hold you accountable. I can call you out on something. That's called love. The wound of a friend is better than the kiss of an enemy. If I'm doing something wrong, call me out on it. But I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to condemn. So Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that it's only through you that we're made righteous. And God, I thank you for your love tonight. And I thank you for your forgiveness, and I thank you for your grace. You're so good to us, God, for you love, so loved the world that you sent your one and only Son that whosoever would believe in you would not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you for loving us.